One for the vicar. Wow, there, there are a lot of you here. Thanks for coming out tonight. This morning, not tonight. So, um, let's start with a word of prayer. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for mentioning it. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for blessing us with the opportunity to gather together to study your word. This morning we pray for the safety and confidence and comfort of those who don't have such opportunities and those who are persecuted when they worship you, especially the Coptic Christians. We pray that you would bless them by guarding them with your holy angels and comforting them with the assurance of the hope that they have in your Son, in the eternal life that's promised to them because of his life and death and resurrection. We pray that you would bless us this morning, lead us into all truth, into your truth, and keep us in your word. In your most holy name we pray. Amen. Okay, so, sorry to, I was a little bit late. Had a phone call. So we're going to hit the ground running. Um, we're talking, so things, things the, the tenor of Lewis has changed dramatically lately, right? So we, we started by talking about kind of abstract things, arguments for God, argue, arguments for the good, how do we know, um, you know, how do you know what good is, and now book three is all of a sudden Christian behavior. Suddenly we're talking about ethics, which is very practical. Um, it, we're talking about really, and he gets really practical about a lot of things, um, and so I want to start by um, sort of with a disclaimer, right? So uh, when, when you talk about Christian ethics, um, you have to always start in the right place. And I'll, I'll just be, the, the right place is not surprising to you. The right place is that we as, as human beings are sinful, deserving of death, doing nothing good, redeemed by Jesus, right? That's always the starting place. So when we talk about ethics doing right and wrong, that first question about, about how we stand before God always has to have been answered first. Do you, does that make sense? Our relationship to God, our righteousness before God, that's the first question. That always has to be answered first. And, and um, because of you know, our short memories, because, and, and because, so you know how we talk about drowning the old Adam daily in baptism, right? So have you heard this? How the old Adam, Luther says the old Adam, I think it's Luther, he says the old Adam is a really good swimmer, right? So he's, you drown him in the font, he comes back up, you got to keep on pushing him down. And pushing him down consists of recognizing our sinfulness and repenting. And repenting means, um, once again, not, you know, not it, it, acknowledging our sin, but believing that Jesus is the one who gives us righteousness. Jesus is the one who sets us right before God. So we start with that, with that picture. Um, and there's two things I want to show you um, that sort of frame this. This one, I, I, I told a story in, in my Ash Wednesday sermon, and there's a video that, do, that does much better than telling the story. So I, I want to show you the video. It's in German, so Krista will understand. Um, but the, I'll, I'll, tell you what, uh, I'll tell you what they're saying um, roughly, and you'll get the, you'll get the idea as we, go, as we go along here. Okay? So it's only a minute and a half long. This is from a movie called, it's a German title, I don't know. It's a, some, something about a prince. Okay, his last, his last, Rudolph's last love, or something like that. But this is um, uh, the, the, the death of a prince and, and the, the burial ceremony that's taking place. Um, you'll see the scene right away. They've brought the casket to the door of the monastery where they're going to bury this, this royal, royal person. 
Well, I need some sound. Hang on. Seine Kaiserliche Hoheit, Kronprinz von Österreich, Königlicher Prinz von Ungarn und Böhmen, der Lombardei und Venedigs, von Dalmatien, Kroatien, Slavonien, Galicien, Lodomerien und Illyrien, Ritter des Ordens vom Goldenen Vlies, Generalinspektor der Kaiserlichen Infanterie, Erzherzog Rudolf von Habsburg. Wir kennen ihn nicht. We don't know him. Wer ist da? Erzherzog Rudolf von Habsburg. Wir kennen ihn nicht. Wer ist da? Rudolf, ein armer Sünder. Rudolf, a poor sinner. A poor sinner. Okay, so I don't know. The, I don't know what the rest of the movie is about, but that but that scene, um, that scene is uh, a, a a great illustration of how we have to start every conversation about ethics, right? So, who are you? You're not um, an ethical person. You are a poor sinner, right? Um, take turn to page three of the handout that I gave you. It's a little clip, um, a little section from a book by a German philosopher named. Hannah Arendt, um, and she wrote. She she became. She was a journalist and wrote uh, for the New Yorker. Uh, covered some um, really important uh, uh, news during the the 1950s um, uh, trials war of war of war criminals, um, and she wrote a book called The Human Condition. One of her. This is sort of the the, the pinnacle of her uh, philosophical work. And uh, there was a blog entry that I read, um, which which noted that that this this woman who is a non-Christian philosopher, um, she has it, through all of her experience, um, you know, gained this perspective on on human goodness. Note note the bold sections there. She says, "For it is manifest that the moment a good work becomes known and public, it loses its specific character of goodness, being done for nothing but goodness' sake." Therefore, take heed that ye do not claim that you ye do not your alms before men to be seen by them. Goodness can exist only when it is not perceived, not even by its author. Whoever sees him performing a good work is no longer good, but at best a useful member of society or a dutiful member of a church. Therefore, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth. So the the, the important thing to note here um, is first of all how we stand before God. But then note that that she she says when you do good things. You are, at best, a useful member of society or a dutiful member of a church. Now, both of those things are good. And especially when we talk about ethics, we're concerned about being dutiful members of society, right? That's, that's the big question at stake. That's what, that's what uh, Lewis is often talking about here, social ethics. How do we behave in a society? But it's, it's absolutely essential. Uh, I can't emphasize this enough to, to distinguish that from... How, what you know our behavior before God. So when we talk about what's good um, in our relationship with each other, none of this has any bearing on how God views us. Right? God views us only through the eyes of through, through Christ, through Christ's righteousness.
Make sense? So that's, that's always, that always has to be the, the starting point for Christian ethics. Okay, back to page one. Now, um, do you have any questions? Any comments? Anything pressing from last time that, you, that was unresolved? Okay. There are a million things to talk about, so let's get started. On, we start with page 82. Uh, chapter 3 is social morality. And I, get, I'm gonna, I give you a bunch of quotations, but uh, there's really a lot, a lot of uh, individual things, particular things that we can talk about. So we'll see what, what, what sort of piques your interest. The first thing, uh, the, the first sentence that, Luth, uh, that Lewis has on page 82, he says, The first thing to get clear about Christian morality between man and man is that in this department Christ did not come to preach any brand new morality. Now, by that he means the golden rule sort of prevails, right? And Jesus describes the golden rule. Um, and this is something that people have always said, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Don't, you know, don't, you know, don't be a jerk, otherwise people are going to be a jerk to you, right? Um, or don't be a jerk if you don't want people to be a jerk to you. So my question to you is, what do you, how do you evaluate Lewis's statement? Based on what you know about what Jesus teaches, about how we relate to other people, is there anything unique about Christian morality, Christian social ethics? Some, anything that distinguishes it from, from you know, uh, the ethics that an otherwise good person might have? What do you think? Penny? One thing I can think of is if you're, if you're treating someone kindly because you want them to be kind to you is a totally different thing than if you're treating them kindly because this is how Christ Aha. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Right. Another way to another way to frame that is you don't you're not kind just to your friends but also to your enemies. Because those that's who what they deserve. That's right. Those those who won't be kind to you and they deserve it. Now that's I'm so glad you said that. Why do why do they deserve it? Why do they deserve your kindness? God made them. Yeah. God made them and God redeemed them, right? Christ this is I mean so if you want um, Lewis talks about this at other times too. He says uh, something along the lines of, you know, the fellow sitting next to you on the train, you don't know anything about him, but he could be, he could be a, an angel for all you know, right? Um, and that is true even of the most wicked person you know, right? Um, they, you don't know how their heart, what their heart looks like. What you do know is that Christ died for them, right? Christ, that, that as a creature of God, as a human being, one created by God, God saw fit to die for them. For that person, even your enemy, right? And that is that is unique to Christian morality, right? That you would show kindness to somebody who not only may not return kindness, but in fact spites you. Excellent. Anything else? Any other any other ways that Christian morality? Yeah, Krista. Uh, as Pastor Brooks, I just I just wait. The second thing to get clear is that Christianity has not and does not profess to have a detailed political program for applying. Right. What does that mean? Okay. Well, that's my next question for you. <laughs> Let's move on to it. Uh, so, th- right. So, Jesus doesn't say, so really in crass terms, Jesus, Jesus doesn't say you should be liberal or conser- soci- liber- socially liberal or socially conservative, right? Or economically liberal or economically conservative. He doesn't say any of those things. In fact, if anything, he says, what, you, know, you heard it in the lesson we read this morning. He says, give everything away you've got, right? 
<laughs> if, you want, if you want to know what Jesus says about economics, give everything away. Okay? Um, so, um, but Lewis, so, so Lewis makes that observation. Jesus doesn't come in with some particular political program. My question for you is, what does that say about the idea of a Christian society? What is, what, um, how, how are we to understand what a Christian society would be? Or can there be a Christian society? Okay, Nancy, go ahead. Okay, well, I mean, a Christian society would be made up of Christians, and if we all were just doing our best to follow Jesus' teachings, yeah. things would fall into place. Right, right. So, that, that, absolutely. Luther talks about this all the time. He says, um, and he gets, he gets really stark, and we're going to see this later. I, I included some Luther that I, want, that I hope will shock you later, because he can be very shocking. Um, but he says, he, says, uh, he says things like, um, if there, were any, if, if there were any real Christians in the world, we wouldn't need the government, right? We wouldn't need the, we wouldn't, we wouldn't need the government at all. Um, and it, because we would, love, we would all just love each other, we would all just give each other whatever we, the other needs, right? So now, um, in, in some sense, in some, go ahead, Carol. But that's not what Paul said. Go on. Right. Because we need it because we're failed. Right. Absolutely. Okay. So now, that, so this is this this conversation is going really well. Thank thank you so much. Um, so what does it mean that we're failed human beings? So, Carol, you're a Christian. You're a real Christian. Yes. You you are. You are a baptized Christian. Right. Okay. And why not? Because. Not to pick on you. The rest of you don't either. <laughs> and there's times I enjoy sinning. That's right, because simultaneously, while you are a Christian, a saint, righteous, perfectly righteous, you are also a sinner. And, and this, is, uh, this is one of Luther's, one of Luther's main insights that often gets um, neglected just it, it, even if you even if you get it right in the way you talk about things, it often gets neglected in practice and the way we the way we um, the way we think about ourselves on, on our everyday basis. So there's this great Latin phrase, "simul justus ac peccator." Okay, "simul" at the same time, just righteous and sinner, okay? And when, when he says that, he doesn't mean that you've got... I've never done this before. I, I don't draw on the board typically. He doesn't mean that you've got a person who is over here, justice, Eustace, and over here, peccator, 50-50. He means the math doesn't add up. It's 100% and 100%, okay? Right? Now, that is unfathomable. But that is the only way that you can say, I am, in God's eyes, perfectly righteous. I am a real Christian. I'm redeemed by, by Christ. I'm, I, I, I do good things. I am going to heaven. 
I, um, I am Christ in God's eyes. I am anointed by him, I'm chosen by him, I'm elect, right? That's the only way you can say that and understand the fact that you, in this world you still fail miserably. You do what you don't want to do, you do what you know, what, know is wrong, right? And you still bear your original sinful nature, your fallen nature, um, your, your uh, what, I'm sorry? Your, 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 your bound will, actually, right? You're, in, in this life, you are bound to sin, right? Uh, at the same time, being bound to Christ. And so it's, it's, in, it's in the resurrection that, that, uh, that we're freed from that, okay? So, so bear that in mind. Uh, okay, so how did we get here? Um, <laughs> Carol. Oh, that's right. If there are any real Christians, we wouldn't need a government. Um, so, so what does this say about a Christian society? Well, do you remember in uh, do you remember what Moses, well, what Jesus says when the uh, when the they're trying to trap him? I think it's the Pharisees. Always the Pharisees. They're trying to trap him, and they say, "Well, what about divorce? Uh, why did you know?" Moses says that we can do this and this and that. What does Jesus say? It was because of your hardness of heart, right? So the reason why we need temporal authorities, as Luther calls them, the reason why we need government is because of our hardness of heart. Because we need somebody to keep us from being just totally out of control. Because we're 100% sinner, right? And if we didn't have authority, if we didn't have any checks, any, any boundaries, um, we would go off the rails, right? That's why you have parents when you're growing up, right? That's why you have uh, cops driving around. That's why you have a government with jails to put you in, right? Because otherwise, things would run amok. And, it would, and this is, for Luther, this is really important. And for Luther, it's really important. He, he thinks um, it is optimal to have a Christian prince, a Christian ruler, because a Christian ruler will set, will set laws, will give laws that correspond with God's law. Because what happens if, uh, if those checks aren't in place and people are, feel at liberty to commit sin, to, 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 um, to sort of blatantly violate God's law? C.S. Lewis talks about it later. What happens when, what happens when you sin? Uh, well, it's not, we're, at this point, we're not so much concerned about, you know, condemnation before God, but we're concerned about your, your, you get hardened to it, right? It becomes comfortable. It, it, it's easy to do. We see this all the time, right? Um, I mean, societies change all the time in the, in the way that they, in, in their norms. Um, and there's, so there's all this flux in what's permissible and what's not permissible, but you, you see so easily how things that today um, are permissible would never have been permissible before, right? And, and likewise, it goes, it goes both ways. Um, and, and that's the reason why we have, we have you know, authorities to keep that in check, to keep, and that's why it would be, it would be best, it would be best if we had somebody who would make laws that correspond to God's law, right? Um, so, uh, n- nonetheless, a Christian society in this world is, is really untenable uh, because we're 100%, 100% sinners. Um, the best we can hope for, and this is, often, this is often the case, this is one way of looking at what we do as we sort of make our way through this world is we try and order things as well as we can in a way that lines up with God's order, right? 
um, we recognize that things are disordered, um, that we're not, that things aren't organized the way God would have them, and we, we try to put them, put them back in place, all, all the while knowing that um, our, our sins are forgiven, that our efforts are redeemed, right? That this is not what's going to save us, but it's Jesus that saves us. Make sense? Everybody, everybody got it? Okay. Now, um, page 85. Now, this is where things get really, really uh, interesting. Very bottom of page 85, C.S. Lewis says, I am not an economist. I have this quotation for you on the page. Um, and I simply do not know whether the investment system is responsible for the state we are in or not. So he's talking about Great Britain, right? He's talking about a market economy where securities are exchanged, um, where things that work, you know, where currency and, um, and representatives for goods are exchanged as goods. Um, I don't know whether that's responsible for the state we are in or not. This is where we want the Christian economist. It'd be great if we had one. But I should not have been honest if I had not told you that the three great civilizations had agreed, and he's talking about the Greeks, the Jews, and the Christians of the Middle Ages, had agreed in condemning the very thing on which we've based our whole life. So what's he talking about here? Do you remember from reading it? What's he talking about? Yeah, investments. Charging, charging interest, right? Um, uh, so the, the, the Roman Catholic Church um, ha, a, has had a strong position on, on, what they, on, on usury, on, uh, on charging interest. Now, at the time of Luther, Luther spoke very strongly against usury, on charging interest. One of the things that stands out, one of the things that's often neglected, though, is that what Luther is uh, arguing against when he says, you don't charge you don't charge interest, as he's saying, well, there's two parts to it. One is uh, a Christian, you know, would, lends without a- expecting anything in return, right, to another Christian. Um, and also, if you, if you uh, charge interest that is exorbitant, right, that, you know, that, that exceeds what is, um, what's possible or that is, it is designed to enslave, right, then you are stealing. It's thievery. And, I mean, you're committing the sin of covetousness, right? Okay, this is where uh, looking at Luther gets to be pretty fun. So open, go to page 4. Um, and, and I want you to see this. Um, Luther says some, really, some, says some really strong things. And here he's, again, talking, about, talking in the same way that he talked before when I said, um, if there were any real Christians, we wouldn't need, temporal, we wouldn't need government, right? This is sort of the same way he's talking here. Um, where should we start? Uh, take a look. We're going to come back to the stuff on this first page, but start at the bottom right of that first page, page 255. You see that? It's highlighted there. Um, he says, well, how, how, how are people to trade with one another if, if, uh, if, standing, if, if, if standing as surety for somebody else is improper? So that means um, offering yourself as a pledge, saying, I'm good for it, right? So he's saying, he says you shouldn't do that because you don't know whether you whether you're going to have any money tomorrow. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. If you say, I'm good for it, you're saying something that you can't possibly know and that God hasn't promised you, right? It's, the, it's like with the, the fellow in the reading, fool, tonight your soul will be demanded of you, right? Okay? He says, this is, this is great. <laughs> Luther says, there are four Christian ways of exchanging external goods with others. The first way, the first way is to let them rob and steal our property. So if you want to exchange goods, the first way is to let them steal from you. 
Okay? That's the best way to do it. And he's serious. The second way is to freely give to anyone who needs. The third way is lending. That is, I give away my property and take it back again if it is returned to me, but I must do without it if it is not returned. Then at the bottom of page 257, now someone will say, who then can be saved and where shall we find these Christians? Why in this way would there be no, why in this way there would be no trade left in the world? Everyone would have his property taken or borrowed away and the door would be thrown open for the wicked and idle gluttons of whom the world is full to take everything with their lying and cheating. Answer, I have already said that Christians are rare people on earth. This is why the world needs a strict, harsh, temporal government which will compel and constrain the wicked to refrain from theft and robbery and to return what they borrow, although a Christian ought neither to demand or expect it. This is necessary in order that the world may not become a desert, that peace vanish and men's trade and society be utterly destroyed, all of which would happen if we were to rule the world according to the gospel. Note what would happen if we ruled the world according to the gospel where we just give everything away, right? The wicked would overrun the world. That's why we need government. Rather than driving and compelling the wicked by laws and the use of force to do and to allow what is right. For this reason, we must keep the roads safe, preserve peace in the towns, enforce law on the land, and let the sword hew briskly and boldly. He loves it when the government comes down hard on sinners. Uh, again, uh, briskly and boldly against transgressors, as St. Paul teaches in Romans 13. For it is God's will that people who are not Christian be held in check and kept from doing wrong, at least from doing it with impunity. Let no one think that the world can be ruled without bloodshed. The temporal sword must and shall be red and bloody, for the world will and must be evil. And the sword is God's rod and vengeance upon it. Now, he's given us three ways of exchanging goods. The, the, the fourth way, on, on page 259, originally he didn't, didn't include this in his first treatise on trade and usury. The fourth way, if you have to, of exchanging goods is through buying and selling for hard cash or payment in kind. Now, this is really important. He who would use this method must make up his mind not to rely on something in the future, but on God alone. Also, that he will have to be dealing with men, men who will certainly fail and lie. Therefore, the best advice is this. Whoever sells should not give credit or accept any security, but sell only for cash, right? Because they're going to lie. You know the world's going gonna to be liars, and you're not going to get anything back, and it's going to be very hard for you as a Christian to accept that you've just given away you know, your stuff. If he wishes to lend, let him lend to Christians or else take the risk of loss and lend no more than he would be willing to give outright or can spare from his own needs. If the temporal government and regulations will not help him to recover his loan, let him lose it. Let him beware of becoming surety for anyone. Let him much rather give what he can. Such a man would be a true Christian merchant. God would not forsake him because he trusts properly in him and cheerfully takes a chance in dealing with his untrustworthy neighbors. Okay, so there's a lot going on there. Do you have any questions right off the bat? Yes, Carol. Um, if, he to, if he wishes to lend, lend him to Christians. Right. Okay, but Christians aren't any better than anybody else. There aren't any real Christians in the world. Yeah. I mean, from that standpoint, we're... So every time you lend, you, you lend assuming the risk that it's not going to be returned, Right. And that's, and I mean, Jesus says the, precisely that, you know, give and don't expect anything in return, right? Yeah, exactly. So, so Luther speaks in a way here, um, one way to describe it would be hyperbolic, 
like he spe- he speaks uh, in sort of in an extreme in an extreme way. Um, he's he's telling the truth. He's saying, if we were all true Christians, this is how things would look. But since we're not, uh, things have to be ordered a certain way. We need the government to protect us from robbery and thieves, right? But all the while, the main principle that reigns, the main principle that, that guides your behavior as a Christian is this. You trust in God for your future. Not in lending money to somebody and having them give, you, give it back. Not in um, giving credit to somebody and having, expecting to receive return on your investment, right? If you trust in those things, you have an idol, right? If, if you expect... Um, this, I mean, this is the so think carefully about about like how you think about retirement savings, right? Retirement investments, right? Uh, this is it's it's uh, it's so easy for things like that to become an idol. Um, God is the only sure thing in your future, right? When and when you when you have that in place, when you know that, and when you remind yourself of that, you're free to do a lot of things. You're free to um, to to work and to earn, and to save, but you don't trust in them. You don't trust in those things, right? Does that make sense? Krista, yes. But you have to. You have to. You have to. Right. It's it's good stewardship, right? Yeah, you know that you just have, uh, you know, just in in the um, today economy, it's just hard for young people to save. That's right. uh, That's right. And I think, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, even when we are getting older or so, that you are not a burden for the society. The, the, and there are lots of, okay, so there are lots, there are lots of ways to think about um, what good practice is, right? What is, what is good stewardship? What, how, what is, the, what is the, a sound way of dealing with what God has given you? And thinking ahead to your future, right? There are lots of, lots of important things to think about there. But the first thing you think about the first thing is that God secures your future, right? And the reason why um, Luther speaks so strongly about these things and why it's important for us to talk about them is because uh, it's so easy for, for it to, to flip, right? It's so easy for you to think that by doing this or that, by making this choice or that choice, you've somehow secured your future, right? Um, and then and in the words of Jesus are, they ring startlingly, right? Fool, tonight your soul will be demanded of you, right? I don't have my Bible with me, um, right? So the, remember what the farmer did? He, 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 um, he said he had, he had so, such abundance, he said, I'm going to tear down my barns and I'm going to build new ones, bigger ones, and I'm going to put it away and then I'm just going to relax. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry, right? He didn't know what was coming. He assumed that he had secured his future. Um, everybody, does that make sense? It, 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 so... Once again, just like Lewis says, he says, I'm not an economist. I don't know what system of economy, what, what economic system is good or bad. And, um, and theology doesn't prescribe one way or the other. God doesn't say, do this or that. What he does say is, you shall have no other gods, right? And um, it's easy for us to sort of get, sort of get buried beneath layers of um, idols, Right, so that we have to, so that we, we, as soon as you uncover one, you discover another, right? Um, and that's why that's why the, that exercise of uh, of, of examining your uh, examining what you trust in is so is so important. Um, and that's why, and that's also why 
uh, we come to confession and absolution why on a, on a Sunday morning we all kneel and confess because we know that Carol is 100% a sinner and uh, she's going to have and she's going to fail to trust in God completely, right? Any questions? Donna. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're thinking of uh, individuals uh, charging interest to other individuals. Right. And uh, right. you said something about the three civilizations had agreed in condemning the very thing. They were condemning charging interest to another Christian. Right? Um, well, not the, not the three civilizations. The, uh, Christians agreed. You know, so if your brother needs something you, and you lend it to him... Right, you don't charge him interest. Yeah, right. And the economic system has changed. Right. It says he's not sure that it's all wrong. And I guess what we could look at is that rather than calling it interest, people that banks and other organizations that lend money mm-hmm. or people that borrow from them, they are charged a service. Exactly. And the, and the other thing that's... So here all this... Uh, you're, you're absolutely right. And the other thing that Luther doesn't seem to sort of have in his view is that, for instance, inflation is, um, is, is an integral part of well, a, capital, a capitalist economy, right? So that things lose value over time. Um, and so, and so char- in some sense, charging interest is maintaining value, right? And, and so what's at stake, really? Again, um, there's two things. The first thing is, is not trusting in money for your future. And the second thing is not taking more than you deserve, right? Which is thievery, right? Not not taking more than that belongs to you. Yeah. I was going to say, um, especially in Africa, we heard about this. There is a Muslim banking system which has been developed, which doesn't charge interest. But of course, they have to get around it with something like thirty. Right. Yeah. 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 And this, it was the same way with a, with a, the, so the thirteenth century. There were canons um, by the Roman Catholic Church say, pro- prohibiting usury. So you can't charge interest. Well. To get around it, they would just say, "Well, I'm, I'm purchasing this piece of, or I'm selling you this piece of property. You're buying this piece of property from me in exchange for income. So, <laughs> instead of instead of uh, selling it at interest, I'm we're, I'm buying some income. I'm purchasing some income, right? So, again, you know, how, however you talk about the economic system is much less important than how you think about." Um, Things like idolatry and covetousness and theft, right? Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, may or may, it may be that in some, in some systems, those things are more, more prevalent or more easily accessible or more easily to fall into um, than others. Uh, but, that doesn't, but that doesn't have anything to do with the relative, sort of the relative merit of one economic system over another. What matters is who's your God and um, are, you, are, are you loving your neighbor, right? Make sense? There's a lot, of, a lot going on here. Krista. Um, but Pastor, there's, it's what Winter always called it. You know, when, when uh, Jesus had the parable about uh, the three uh, men who were just... With the talents, yep. Yeah, with the talents. Mm-hmm. And at the last he said, um, why didn't you give it to you the should have just bank? given it to the banker. Then you would have gotten... Yeah, and I think it's really unfair when you are saving money. Why shouldn't you get interest? It was all the time, you know, that you just... Um, 
or retired people or so. You know, so you have uh, you give your money to the bank and have a little bit interest. That's uh, that's absolutely right. Now, and, and the question of fairness and equity, right? That is a question for the government to answer, right? And from just an economic standpoint, that's a different matter than earning something on what you have versus giving something to someone else. And on top of that, right, you have to pay me extra. Right. 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 Yep. If you if you come away with any with with one single thing from this conversation, it is this that um, that the, the that two things. The government the government exists to promote equity and fairness, right? The government that's why the why why the government regulates things so that things can be fair, so that thieves don't steal, right? So that the wicked don't um, get away with wickedness. The, the second thing is that you, as a Christian, should expect to be to suffer from the wicked, right? You should you should expect to lose everything to the wicked. You should and you shouldn't trust in keeping everything. You shouldn't trust in your own security of your future. Does that make sense? Um, it's a it's it is a. Uh, um, it's a striking divide because, and this is why Luther talks about how in the world there are two kingdoms, right? There's the kingdom of the right and the kingdom of the left. The kingdom of the right is God's kingdom, which rules by the gospel, right? Where the word is forgiveness, where, um, where, where Christians love each other, right? And, and Christ rules by um, giving himself, um, by self-sacrifice. The kingdom of the left doesn't work that way. And we need the kingdom of the left because of hardness of heart, right? And the kingdom of the left operates by the sword, by, by executing justice. Um, and these two things, you know, we as Christians happen to live with one foot in each kingdom, right? <laughs> Which makes it difficult to be a Christian. Um, it, makes, it means that you have to think. You have to, you have to think discerningly about, about what you do. Um, and ask yourself, um, do I have an idol? Am I coveting? Right? And repent and receive Jesus' forgiveness. Okay? Make sense? All right. Let's move on. Okay. Things don't get any easier with Lewis here. So, you know, he said, um, I do not believe one can settle how much we, one should give. He's talking about charity on page 86. I, and I'm just going to, I'd like to read, <laughs> I'll just read to you what he says. Um, Charity is an essential part of Christian morality. I do not believe one can settle how much one ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc. is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we are probably giving away too little. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our charity's expenditure excludes them. I am speaking now of charities in the common way. Particular cases of distress among your own relatives, friends, neighbors, or employees, which God, as it were, forces upon your notice, may demand much more even to the crippling and endangering of your own position. For many of us, the great obstacle to charity lies not in our luxurious living or desire for more money, but in our fear, our fear of insecurity. This must often be recognized as a temptation. So, 
on the one hand, he says, I don't think we can just decide how much you should give, but then he says, here's how much you should give, right? <laughs> um, but what, is, what do you think about that? What are your, how do you react to that? What are, your, what are your thoughts? How does that make you feel? <laughs> like a sinner. Like a sinner. Okay, good. <laughs> Mission accomplished, right? <laughs> Self- yeah, it makes you feel selfish, right? Yep, exactly. All those, All those ugly things. That's right. And this is why, again, every conversation about, about ethics begins with confession and absolution, right? I, a poor, miserable sinner. And, the, uh, and then the announcement of God's grace, right? Because you're not going to get it right. You're not going to do it well enough. Um, you're always going to fail. And, um, you know, so... The, the, the interesting question is, of course, what do you do with that feeling of selfishness, or that feeling of selfishness, or that feeling of guilt? Um, first, you first you uh, you receive Jesus' forgiveness, but then you have an opportunity. You're liberated, and you're liberated in 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 Christ to um, to to practice Christian charity, right? To to be charitable, um, because you know that your salvation doesn't rely on it, right? You don't have to do it perfectly. Um, but you know that it's what Jesus wants you to do. And it's good for you. Um, and it's good for your neighbor, right? So, um, you know, take, take <laughs> Lewis's words cannot, can only come across as, uh, as, as the law, right? And they can only make you feel, make you feel selfish. Because, uh, I mean, living up to that, that kind of a standard is, uh, is, is very challenging. Um, but, you know, you heard Jesus this morning. He said, sell all your possessions and give to the poor, right? Um, uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's a challenging thing <laughs> to be charitable. Any questions? Donna. On the next page, page 7, mm-hmm. um, this statement kind of struck me at the bottom of the page. He says, I cannot learn to love God except by learning to hate him. That's right. Let's look at that whole paragraph. I, um, I have that quotation on the page here. You hit the nail on the head. Thank you so much. Um, it begins like this. A Christian society, this is um, on page 87, yeah. A Christian society is not going to arrive until most of us really want it. So here, Lewis is basically saying the same thing as Luther, right? Until we're all Christians and we all act like Christians, it's not going to happen. And we are not going to want it until we become fully Christian. I may repeat do as you would be done by till I am black in the face, but I cannot carry it out till I love my neighbor as myself, right? So, he, so he's saying, you can't do good until you are good, right? You can't act lovingly towards your neighbor until you love your neighbor. And I cannot learn to love my neighbor as myself until I learn to love God. So it all hinges on your relationship with God. You're not going to love your neighbor until you're right with God. And I cannot learn to love God except by learning to obey him. Now, Donna, why does that puzzle you? Right. Okay. So now there's a way to save to to save this, because um, it sounds like if uh, if we just if so ob- obedience feels like this, right? If we just obey God, then we'll learn to love God. Well, we can uh, we can solve this, but that's what God said in the first commandment. You shall have no other gods, right? And what is what is how does the how does the Christian fulfill that first commandment? By by trusting in Jesus, right? That's, that's, that's obedience. Obedience is faith. In fact, um, the, word, the Greek word for o- to obey 
is uh, nearly indiscernible from the Greek word for to hear, right? And um, how does a Christian hear? Well, and it, well, how, what does Paul say? Um, remember that, that long, what is it? How shall they how shall they believe unless they've heard, right? So, and, and, and hearing and faith are, are intimately connected, right? So, hearing the promise and believing it, that's obedience. He's not talking about doing this thing or that thing. When, 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 um, when Jesus calls for obedience, it's, it's faith. And faith produces what? Fruit, Right? Good, good works, but it starts with hearing, hearing in faith. But, um, you said the only way we can keep the first commandment is by trusting in Jesus. Right. We can't trust in Jesus unless Jesus gives That's right. Yes. Yep. So, so, and so this is the, Jesus. Yep. Jesus makes the first move, and when you have faith, you thank God that He gave it to you. Right. Yeah, yep. <laughs> you do. You do. I mean, and this is you, you do get sort of you get sort of stuck in this this circle, right? So I need to have faith. I can't get faith on my own. I cannot, by my own reason or strength, believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to Him. For the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, right? So um, you don't you don't get faith by you don't obey by trying really hard. You give thanks to God when you have faith and are obedient, right? Um, it certainly won't hurt you. <laughs> right. What causes it to grow is is the work of the Spirit, and he says he says that if you um, so first first Psalm blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he shall meditate day and night. He is like a tree that is planted by streams of living waters that bears its fruit in season. Right? So you delight in the law of the Lord, the fruit, fruit you will bear fruit. Right? You will grow like a tree that is planted by streams of water. Now, the mechanics of that are um, beyond us. And it's not, it's not because I'm doing this that I, that I grow as a tree. In fact, a tree doesn't ever say, hey, let me grow a little bit taller right now, right? It's the spirit who, who produces the, that, that growth. But you're right that obedience, um, uh, obedience, doing what Jesus asks you to do is good for you. And, and, it, strengthens, and it strengthens your faith. Yeah. Okay. Holly. Right, right, right. If you're loving God, you're serving neighbor, obviously there will be growth. That's right. Okay, perfect. Um, Look at, uh, Lewis has a great comment on this. Um, um, Page 93, jump ahead here. Page 93. This is how how the Christian life looks. Um, One last point. It's the last paragraph, the full paragraph on page 93. One last point. Remember that, as I said, 
The right direction leads not only to peace but to knowledge. But what is that knowledge? This is so key. When a man is getting better, he understands more and more clearly the evil that is still left in him. Right? When a man is getting worse, he understands his own badness less and less. A moderately bad man knows he is not very good. A thoroughly bad man thinks he's all right. So what does it mean when, when, you, when you do better, when you get better? It doesn't mean that you think, I'm better and better. Right? You, it, it, doesn't curve, it doesn't make you look more inwardly at yourself. In fact, when you look inwardly at yourself, you see more and more how much you ought to look out at Christ and how much more you ought to love your neighbor. Right? So getting better, um, getting better is not the end in itself. And it doesn't... And, what, it, what getting better produces is, um, uh, is, 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 is a greater need for Jesus and a greater trust in him. Carol. Can you think of it in the same way as you don't realize how sick you are until you're better? Um, maybe, maybe that doesn't work for you. I mean, if you don't... Um, let's see. I mean, that, that you're sick. Whatever. Yeah. If you have a broken bone, you can heal that. Right, right. You don't realize until you're looking back and, and you compare. Kind of it, do, it, doesn't, it, do, it doesn't quite work because as you're getting better, you realize you're still sick. You're still sick. Right. But you're getting. But, you're not, but, but what you discover in getting better is that you're, not less, that you're not less sick, but that you need a doctor even more. Okay. <laughs> that's right that's right when you when you aim when you aim the radiation at the at the at the cancer you discover there's more cancer and you need more radiation right i don't know if that's a good analogy either well in anything the more you learn about it the more you realize you don't know and if you're getting better you're just realizing how how still lacking you are, which still might be better for your neighbor. That's right. So this is the great thing about it is that you're always helping your neighbor, right? That's Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And now, uh, and this is great because uh, you feel worse and it's not as, it's tempting to think that Jesus wants us to just feel bad about ourselves all the time, right? So he wants us to always, you know, in this life of repentance, he wants us to just be wretched all the time because the, the better we get, the worse we feel. That's not, that's, it's not true, right? That's why, um, that's why a, a, a time of penitence is not a time of uh, is not necessarily a time of 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 weeping, right? So your sorrow over sin um, is is immediately turned into joy at the forgiveness that you receive in Jesus. So David in his psalms, in his penitential psalms, um, he does this all the time. It's remarkable. Um, anybody have a Bible? Uh, somebody read Psalm six real quick. Penny, will you read that? Don't, uh, not real quick. Take your time. It's fine. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Just, just we got out. We got okay. Psalm six. Yep, the whole thing. There you go. Now, now here's what to li- listen to. This is how. This is how. This is what happens when uh, you realize all the more your sin. This is what happens. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger, or discipline me in your wrath. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am faint. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in anguish. How long, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. No one remembers you when he is dead. 
Who praises you from the grave? I am worn out from groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. Away from me, all you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be ashamed and dismayed. They will turn back in sudden disgrace. Okay, so it's all basically, so in the same breath, David confesses his, well, in, in his case, he's in anguish because of his enemies, but you could easily translate enemy as the tempter, right? Devil, your sinful nature, your, your mortal flesh, right? In the same breath, he is, is pleading to God because of his enemies and confessing that God has heard his prayer. It's, it's in the same breath. It's one, it's, it's, what, five, six verses long? It's so, I mean, ten, ten verses long. Still, very short. But, <laughs> um, but you see, but that, that's, that's how, for a Christian, um, repentance works. That's how, that's how repentance carries out. Repentance is never sorrow over sin by itself. It's sorrow over sin and faith in the forgiveness of Jesus. Does that make sense? And that's what it means. Again, that's what happens. So, to, tie, to try to, I mean, we've gone, we've gone, this is, we've, this is great. We've cut a lot of ground. But to, to try and tie some things together. Um, in terms of being a Christian and, do, and behaving in a Christian way, Christian ethics, right? We start with Jesus' forgiveness because, of, because we're poor, sinful beings. We try to do better. Trying to do better is good for us and our neighbor. When we try to do better, we discover that we don't do well. And in the same breath, we repent and receive Jesus' forgiveness. Does that make sense? That's the, that's the Christian, that's the, the ethical Christian life. And it's, an, and it's a life of, of constant discernment, right? You, you have to work at this. You have to think about it. You have to be careful. Because what the world says about what's good and what's not good is wrong. They don't get it. Okay? Okay. Pastor Bush, can I just complete? And then you are thankful, and then you are joyful. That's right. That's the, that is, again, the response of faith. That's right. So your, my, tears, my tears of sorrow turn into tears of joy, right? Absolutely. Uh, any questions? Okay. Let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. All right. Thank you very much.